0: Welcome to Episode 2 of It's a Baseball Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Sam Hale. You'll hear from our other two hosts, Mike Gianella and John Heglin here in just a minute. But oh, what an episode we have for you this week. It's a definitely supersized episode. If you thought last week's episode was long, this week's is somehow even longer. But we cover a lot of ground, and I think we do a lot of interesting things in this episode. Uh, We start as we should always start with some baseball trivia about the Rangers, Mets, and Giants, because that's a thing that we do. And then it transitioned into a little bit of talk about you know the, the state of societal disinformation. Uh, then we end up talking about celebrities due to the recent Andre 3000 story that was on Twitter. Um, that's a little bit me-heavy, because I end up having a little bit more than the rest of the lads on that one. Uh, it just kind of works out that way. Though you do get a fun story from when I went to the White House as an invitee. Yeah, that's just a, still a fun flex to say. Um, as well, we move into, we talk about fast food, we talk about fantasy baseball and the talk about how uh, the the philosophical version of it talking about how like as prospect writers and baseball writers in general have hurt the labor movement uh we end up talking about tim lincecum and his in and out order and that leads to a whole discussion so there's just a whole lot of stuff you can get on this episode so let's not keep you too long let's go right to it episode two of it's a baseball podcast starts right now
1: all right so who's ready for my trivia
0: Yes, fire baseball trivia. Let's do this.
1: Yeah. So so this is some baseball trivia. Um, All right. So, Samuel, earlier today, I'm going to retrieve your DM about. Here it is. Um, You sent us a tweet from John Blake that said uh, the Rangers have signed right handed pitcher Nick Tropeano to 2022. 2020, what am, what am I? 2022 minor league contract. He was 1 0, 2.25 in five games with San Francisco and New York Mets in 2021, and is 14 and 14 in 54 lifetime MLB games over seven seasons. And you said the Trinity is complete, um, meaning that here is a player who once he logs time for the uh, for the Rangers, which I'm sure he will is probably like he the, inevitably
0: numbers, will, yes. the number
1: like three or four starter at this point. Um, he will have played for each of the teams that we uh, root for. So I'm curious. Um, I, I will tell you off the top of my. Well, it's it's actually not off the top of my head, It's off a B ref list. But hold on. One two. Six, eight, 10, 12, 14, 16. So. 20 uh, players in the history of baseball have played for these three teams, okay? 16 position players, four pitchers. So this is a, this is a two-parter. Um, the easy level is, uh, tell me if you can name any of these players uh, who have played for the Mets, Rangers, and Giants. And then can you name the one player who has played at least 148 games for each
2: team?
0: Oh wow, that's a good that's a good one.
2: It's funny. I, I know a lot of two of the three teams, but like coming up with all three, I'm kind of like, hmm.
0: yeah, I'm trying to think. Um, oh. Yeah, I, like I'm pretty sure Carlos Beltran is not on this list because I know he played for Texas and the Mets at one point. Oh, you do not remember the
1: midseason
2: trade? Yeah, where he played. He went it was to the Giants.
0: That was the Zach Wheeler deal. Yeah. See, I oh, forgot, that's right. It I, was. Forgot about, I forgot
2: about the Rangers part with him. I remember the Giants yep. part very well. Yes,
0: he was. He was the. He was a midseason acquisition in the, in the early to try and save this thing, and then I'm pretty sure he yep. was on one of those Blue chase that teams that got bounced. That so Carlos the,
1: Beltran. Uh, 839 games for the Mets, 52 for the Rangers, 44 for the Giants. Um, still not the, the king of, of the three franchises that we're looking for. Okay. Um, um did and Dickey
0: ever play for the Giants? He did not. Damn it. Um,
1: I feel like Mike could get a couple of these.
0: I'm sure he can. He's very smart.
1: Yeah, I can, I can hear him thinking. Thinking very hard.
2: Yeah, the, um, problem, oh. the problem is I, I keep thinking of the I get two two of the three and I'm doing the Mets part of it and then I'm blanking on, like the other side of it.
0: Yeah, I'm the exact opposite. I'm doing the Texas side of it. I'm trying to call well, the Giants. I mean, and then... I
2: mean, obviously that makes sense given your
0: um, reading interests. But did, did, um, hang on, did Derek Holland ever play for the Mets? No. Okay, that's probably a good thing for the Mets in general.
1: I would, I would um, be frankly surprised if either of you got any of the pitchers on the list.
0: There's only four, uh, right? There's only four,
1: and you know, none of them are particularly memorable.
0: Um, I don't know why the name Josh Roop is coming to mind, but I'm going to throw the, that out there and see where it goes. I don't think nope. he was in that. Nope. I don't think he was in anything. I think I know he was a Ranger, and for some reason, I think I'm stuck on R. A. Dickey and Josh Roop. Just. Did John, as far as, history. well, if it's,
2: not, if it's not memorable pitchers, then I would say it's not John Matlack. He would not have pitched for the Giants then. Nope. Okay.
0: He did not offend. Yeah,
1: and all the pitchers are from the mid-90s and, oh, okay. and, so and, these, and more
2: recently. These aren't like older pulls, all right. And... No.
1: Nope.
2: Not a Met. <laughs>
1: um...
2: Oh, let, yeah, me think, so, let me think hitters then, since you said none think of the hitters. Yeah, purely like memorable.
1: And remember, we're uh, looking for one guy who, and I, I, I'll tell you, if it would help, I can give you the years that he was with each franchise. Well, I mean that would help
2: a lot. Probably. Yeah, it would.
1: Do we do we want do you want to hint that that big? I'll give we're you a hint. probably going to need it's,
2: it. It's up to you. All right, Samuel, so so the wanna... go
1: ahead the, the the player who played at least 148 games with each. Team, he was a Met from nineteen ninety nine to two thousand one. He was a Ranger in nineteen ninety six, and he was a Giant in nineteen ninety seven and nineteen ninety
2: eight. So he was he was on the. So he was Rangers, Giants, and he was on the World Series team for the Mets. That that should
0: help. Mm -hmm. What was the Ranger year again? Ninety six. Okay, that was the first division title team. Um, also, for the sanity of y'all, I will not tell you how old I was that year because it's, it's just going to make this more complicated for me. Um, Maybe you were like three, but that's fine. Four, but you know who's counting. I, I you know, know,
2: honestly, once you have kids of your own, it it doesn't really matter. Like you're you're older than my kids, so yeah. Uh,
0: also true. Um, John Wetland.
1: No, we're talking position player. Also, position not player. also
2: not
0: a not a mat. That's gets uh, good for everybody. Don't please nobody go look at what John Whitland's been doing recently.
1: Uh, yeah, I think I've I've. Seen yeah, I think some, I know this. Something.
0: Spoiler: it's it's many years in the who's gal.
1: Um. Okay, so this player, uh, pretty good career actually. Well, I figured um, yeah. Played for played for the Brewers for several years at the start of his career then the Rangers, then the Giants, Um, then actually the Rockies for parts of two seasons before he finished his career with the Mets. And he, um, yeah, 13 seasons, 16.7 war, uh, career slash of 291, 360, 385. Damn, that's pretty good. So, you know, this is someone you all you all know, but
0: Mike, I'm trusting you on this one because I, I, I am coming up. Super yeah, I'm just here. I'm trying
2: to I'm just kind of going uh, through and I don't want to cheat teams in my head. Yeah, I'm, I don't want to cheat either, because then, yeah, it just isn't like. What oh. is it? Like,
0: well, you can 90s? probably guess
1: you can probably guess from that description that he was in He was an outfielder.
0: Yeah. yeah, I'm trying to remember who the outfielders were on that '96 team. Um, well, see, I'm
2: trying to, I'm trying to think the '2000 Mets. and the funny thing is, it's making me think. Based on that description, oh, 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 was it Daryl Hamilton? Ding 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 ding. Damn! Yes, good job. See, the reason I got thrown off is on that 2000 team, he wasn't like one of their primary outfielders. No, See, he I was. They get to 2000, and I was like, okay. So, yeah. Now, now that I'm looking him up, okay. So he was at that point. That was the end of his career, and he was he was a backup at that point. I mean, he was still a pretty yeah. Uh, very end, he wasn't, but he was still a pretty productive backup. But yeah, now he was he was good. Um. I'm trying to see what his best year in terms of WAR was. Yeah, a couple uh, of like, some might three have wins, been three win, ninety-two and ninety-three with the Brewers. He was like a three and a half win player, and then ninety-eight with the Giants. He was a three-win player.
1: Yeah, I, I, Which, I, I remember, remember him
2: with the, the Giants and the Rockies. The he was a four-point-six win player. He was traded that year, so that was his best.
0: Right. year, it was Ninety-eight. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Daryl Hamilton. That is a remember some guys all-star right there. I'm I will give you some I'll
1: give you some other some other guys. Like I'm a little surprised that uh, n- neither of you got Marlon Bird, because uh, he's probably oh, the most recent I, dude. I,
0: Marlon um, Bird was okay, I have a small Marlon Bird story. So Marlon Bird was the focal point of a game I went to and I think I was a sophomore in high school. I had stopped watching the Rangers after they traded Pudge or they released him, I guess, mm-hmm. or didn't renew his contract, whatever the language you want to use. And, like, I had a vendetta against them. And then Marlon Bird was, like, the starting center fielder of a game I went to in, like, 2006, like 2007, somewhere in that neighborhood. And, like, he made, like, two decently bad errors on the base paths. And sports radio that same day was like, man, this guy sucks. He should a trade him." But I had fallen in love with the baseball all over again, fallen in love with this stupid team again. And I always remember Marlon Bird having a just shitty day at the ballpark that day. But I was happy anyway. And there was like it was a day game and there was like five thousand people there. That's why right. I, so there's it, your Marlon Bird story. I, I guess
2: i I forgot Bird because he was like barely with the Mets. like that was like a that was a season, and it was a season if I remember correctly, the Mets, yeah, the Mets weren't very good.
1: Yeah, but he he did get uh let's see. That was that was 2013. So he got yeah. some he got some run there. Oh, he
2: yeah, got, he played. I mean, he played. I I just wasn't yeah, really paying super close attention kids. to the the Mets.
1: Man, he yeah. That was a pretty good pretty good year for for old Marlon. Um, yeah, Samuel, that had to be 2007. That was his first yes. season in Arlington.
0: I right, I'll, I'll throw right. some other
1: I'll throw some other names at you and then uh You can then we can move on. So um,
0: Joaquin Arias. Spider Arias. Yes. Oh, yeah. That's a a guy. That that is the focal point of the A-Rod trade. Um, Oh, yeah.
1: Certainly remember his uh, his days as a utility guy with with the Giants. Um, Let's see here. We've got some going back to the 70s. Some
2: Willie Montanez. Oh, um, OK.
1: Who, let's see. Yeah, he was more Giants and Mets, but a, a little stint in 79 with the Rangers. Um,
2: Jeff Francoeur, our buddy Jeff Francoeur, played for Frenchy all three. Frenchy. Although yeah, see, I, I remember him with Atlanta. That, that's like, yeah, sure. Right. But
1: he did play the answer in, at one point here. 199 games with the Mets um andres torres um okay big part of the giants uh first two um world series teams there
0: um super util yeah
1: let's see ricky leday how about ricky
2: leday yeah ricky leday traded to the mets in 06 um from the or purchased i think by the mets from the the dodgers um how about some Justin Ruggiano,
1: who barely played for yeah, that? I would uh, any of the three teams, but he. I think he played for like every team. I think
0: Justin. I, okay, I swear I looked up Justin Ruggiano during the season this year, and I think he's got a real estate business somewhere in like the northern Dallas suburbs now, and he promotes himself as like former Texas Ranger. Like, there's okay. I'm. Gonna, you keep talking. I'm gonna look this up because there's something really silly about this. That well, okay. So
1: he, here's a here's an interesting well not it's not particularly interesting it's it's i guess it's interesting in that he had let's see about a 10-year career um debut in in uh 07 last last year was 17 and let's see he played for one two three four five six seven eight teams so that's you know he he definitely uh, got some frequent flyer miles there. Um, the pitchers, um, Dennis Cook mm. uh, played for all three. Um, I remember him. Yeah, I remember Dennis Cook. Uh, Rich Rodriguez, um, probably the the only other one you would remember. We are we um, really
2: are remembering some guys. Yeah,
1: yeah. Eric Anderson and and actually, um, if it's the same. Yeah, Mike Stanton, who obviously we mostly remember from the uh, the Braves and maybe the Yankees, but he ended up getting to to all three. Well, him,
2: I, I remember him with the Giants, and he he actually was like very briefly like their closer too. <laughs> Let's
1: see how he did. did he got yeah, he got eight saves in two thousand six yeah, well, for the I Giants. I think he was
2: the closer because like Armando Benitez like blew up that that was the (laughs) well
1: yeah what (laughs) when was that not happening i guess would be my question
2: i I don't know
1: all right trivia trivia moment is is over that's all i got i
0: did not discover the justin reggiano note but i also found some very disappointing yet not surprising tweets on his twitter timeline
2: yeah don't don't just you know just don't like don't investigate your heroes <laughs> or even people you like, like. I would not
0: call Justin Ruggiano a hero. No, without, I know. With minimal well, I, respect due I, to Justin Ruggiano. I, I, under,
2: I understand. I, I'm just saying, like, don't even... Well, in some ways it's worse with players like that who are, like, fringy because you're just like, eh, I barely even, like, remembered you and now I just remember you badly. Well, my my working
1: assumption now is that, um, you know, players, players have... Well, not all players, but I, I will say um, you know, white American players, I will assume they have bad politics until they they demonstrate otherwise. So
0: it's just it's all just the... go ahead, John.
1: Go No, I should say it's just my coping mechanism for like, you know, because I don't, I don't know who on like the the 2021 Giants was, you know, full QAnon or MAGA. I think I think he have a He's got some Q in his background, but um, but I don't want to know. Like, I just want to well, think. Of you it know what it I is? It,
2: it's honestly at this point, like the, the players who say nothing, I'm just kind of fine with it. It's the ones that start going out there and go on and on and on, where it's like, oh, like I I just yeah. don't want to know. Like I'm, be
0: smart enough to hide it. Like just just don't. Right. If that's what you are, just keep it out of public eye.
2: I literally had no
1: beef with Blake Trinan. Just had no thoughts on him as a person whatsoever. Until he, and
0: now you know, you're ready to go
1: to war yeah. with him. Well, I, I, mean, I don't care. It's, I, I, think it's just funny that, you know, you lift up that rock and, uh, to to see what you what you find. So, I mean, oh, honestly, bro. it was the same. Like, I, I had no real opinion of of Aaron Rodgers before this year. Like as a person, he always just seemed kind of closed it, off. He, did, I mean, he, he seemed
2: like a bit of a lunkhead, but like just in a normal football kind of way. Where yeah, he was, was like, a weirdo. Yeah. Where you're like, oh, where you or yeah, a bit of a weirdo, but like you know, Tom Brady had that vibe too before we found out about his politics, and I was like, yeah, whatever. I mean, like people who are rich are weird, and I I don't, or some of them are, and I I don't mind that. Like that's whatever. But yeah, Yeah. like like the stuff. Well, you know what it is too. I I I don't want to spend another another week talking about the the vaccine and COVID, but it's that has just brought out like some like total fucking weirdness, like weirdness beyond the. Like, weirdness, I think we've come to expect where it's like, dude, just shut up. And, like, I hate to say, you know, shut up and play, but it's like, just shut up and get vaccinated. Like, just uh, enough already. Like, or enough just shut this. up, really. You just yeah, I, I think for being just... <laughs> quiet. <laughs> like,
0: yeah. Like, yeah. Enough yeah. Of this.
2: like you're, you're not a doctor. Like, you're not, you know, you're not a virologist. You don't know. Like, you're, I'm not an expert on this either, but you, you have no idea what you're talking
1: about. Well, see, this is where, this is where the, the true, um you know the the true scourge of of joe rogan becomes clear because now you know joe rogan as a patently uh, dumb man has gotten this huge platform that has legitimized the chin-stroking do your own research
2: um types right. and well well, it's a do your own research thing it's like well honestly <laughs> like you, you could tell me to do my own research on quantum physics but i <laughs> I will never like learn enough to have a, a serious debate with a quantum physicist. And if I develop opinions on it, why are you bowing to the cult of expertise? You can, you're just as smart as that physicist. Right. Right. Yeah. Mike it's, it's the whole thing. Right. I you do. saw a YouTube video, you know, yes, about. I, I saw some YouTube videos that I, you know, read 40 pages of a book. So now my, my knowledge is, is pretty good.
0: Can we talk about the fact that the late 90s, early 2000s Comedy Central late night lineup has gone, to, has done a very big part in trying to ruin America? Can we just sit on that for a minute? If you look at, like, some of the people there, because you've got Joe Rogan, who was on The Man Show. That was a oh, thing. God. Oh, yeah. Um, you remember Adam Carolla was a big yeah, part. Carolla, of Adam well. Carolla, I remember, yeah. And Adam Carolla has become the, the messiah for, like, white dudes for a podcast, which, I mean, hey, I'm, you know not Trying to throw a rock inside a glass house here, but I'm also not trying to be a revolutionary either. Um, this is just for fun more than anything else. Um, remember Ben Stein had a show on that mm. on when yeah. Ben Stein's money, which by the way yeah. was really fun. Um, I hate that he, I guess, always was what he was. Oh, well, well, he, he was, was like, like a ben staffer staffer was in. For... yeah,
2: he was in the Nixon administration, he was I mean, Nixon, wasn't like yeah. a high level guy, but he was there, and so yeah, I mean, it's not like he's suddenly not so you know, secret. Well, Ben Stein also is a case where you could, you know, argue because of that background. It's like, well, you know, unlike, say, Joe Rogan, like Ben Stein had some political connections and, you know, kind of knew what he was talking about.
0: Like Joe Rogan legitimately went from girls bouncing on trampolines with big up tops to calling UFC fights to playing a a not insignificant part in the destabilization of American society as we know it. Like that's a thing. That's a legitimate through line you can draw wild yeah ride. it's incredible how yeah. like, it came out the best
2: well, well someone someone pointed this out like there, there's a level of people who aren't as well known but like above like rogan that there's essentially 12 people in in i think the united states and the world who are like anti-vax and they're pretty much the ones that are pushing this and making money off of it and you know profiting off of it and it's really unbelievable how you can trace everything back to them And yeah, it's pretty much a grift. Like it's the all all of them or almost all of them are. I think one or two of them are independently wealthy, so it doesn't matter. But nearly all of them are making money off of this, and that it's it's the whole follow the money thing. Of like, well, if you follow the money, it's pretty obvious like why they're doing this.
0: See, what's fascinating about it is, and this isn't so much about COVID, but it's more about human behavior. I was reading an article about the the radio effects of this, like the idea of like how. Like the trickle-down economy of information, right? Like how, like the the top cable news, your 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 tuckers of the world are handling this, but how that influences media down below who don't realize it's a gimmick, that don't realize it's a grift, that don't realize that this is all largely a show. Like you see, like the vaccine skepticism from eight to ten p.m. on on your local Fox News channel, but it's also that the news corp has a 99% vaccination rate, has a mandatory vaccine policy, and everyone that's on television has got at least two, if not three shots. But the problem becomes comes there is that the lower, the mid and lower level media personalities, like local television, or more specifically in the case that I was reading about, local political radio, like your small town, mm-hmm. poli- like they don't have. They don't see the grift because to them, it's not really a grift. It's a lifestyle. And, you know, unfortunately, uh, uh, there have been people who have died because of that. Tons like, there's of a them. Few, Tons like of a radio few radio people. Talk radio people. Yeah. Including, I think, one guy that literally called himself mister Antivax, which was yeah. only going to go one way. Well. But, like, what? what's sad about that specifically is just, like, those people believe it. Those people are into it. And that could be for anything like it's yeah. obviously very pertinent now for for this particular issue but what makes well, me say that the media economy is such i guess it has been for a while you can date back to like even probably pat robertson and beyond there where like they know what it is the top level knows what the deal is but the people below it they're all in baby they're two feet deep and ankle high. Well, like they've... well, the,
2: the the thing is, the thing I was thinking about when you were talking about, Samuel, was you know the whole stop the steal and and the election, the twenty twenty election. You know the, the 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 folks on Fox News and you know the folks talking about this, they they don't believe Donald Trump won. I mean, they they know he didn't win, but you're right. There's a whole yeah. layer of people beneath who, because they're hearing the the big lie over and over and over again they believe it and you know it's funny you know after dominion like dominion um you know voting system sued fox and they sued oan and and they sued newsmax fox essentially like yeah stop talking about this yeah we don't want to lose
0: money stop we're we're gonna
2: gonna lose a lot of money but the thing is fox news can survive a lawsuit like that i mean they're they're gonna lose a lot of money because dominion has a hell of a case but they're probably gonna settle and you know they're, they're gonna pay it out but these other networks, like from what I'm reading, like OAN is One American News, is at risk of like going under because well, they're again, losing
0: their uh, their direct TV contract too.
2: Yeah, I mean, but even if they weren't losing that contract, like they they just don't have the money to to say, oh yeah, we'll we'll settle for half of this or you know whatever it is. Like they're it's it's not going to happen. And and I think in Dominion's case, they want this to go to trial because they're looking at, like, well, we we wanted we want public admission that we were defamed. Like, we, we, we don't have, you know, we don't have skin in the game. We we don't care who wins. Like, we want to do our job, which is to, you know, make sure these elections run fairly.
0: Yeah, and they got time and they got money, too. Like, that's the big thing. Yeah, they that's have the other, they
2: have deep pockets. Now, you know, we, we can talk about how, you know, it's not right, how, you know, a voting systems company has deep pockets. But that's a whole other, you know, that's a whole other story.
0: Yeah, <laughs> and I'm podcast. not really super interested in that part of it. But, like. It just kind of got me thinking about disinformation in general, not not so much the political, but like just think about like in our sports landscape about like the concept of disinformation and how that's just kind of become a thing. Like, like think about the people that, uh, and I'm, we're not going to talk about the big event that happened this week in baseball because why waste the time? But just Did something about, happen like, in baseball? Uh, allegedly, something happened. You could, you've probably heard, you've definitely heard about it by now. As this mm. podcast will come out in a couple days, we're recording on Wednesday night. But like just think about like all the sports fans out there that have been influenced by sports talk radio, by local newspaper columnists. Now you've got bloggers, now you've got like podcasters like us. It's a baseballpodcast.com. And just like all the the, the opinion and rhetoric that could be that's oftentimes just based in personal feelings, but people take that as fact and and i really wonder about the concept of sports as we go forward especially amateur sports like or quote unquote amateur sports like college sports with like the transfer portal NIL all these things that i generally support but like the rhetoric's only going to get amped up higher on stuff like that and i don't know exactly where we're headed with it but it feels like it's going to get even more toxic feels like a really over overplayed word for this but it might be the correct mm. one But it just feels like it's going to get to the point where, like, sports fandoms are going to have way more opinions, or they're going to be way less actually informed as we go.
2: Yeah, I I think that's already been happening. Yeah, you know, interestingly, what what I think is that if anything, the sports talk model, in some ways, drove the political model. Like, like it used to be, the political model was very much like, sure, you could have you know talking heads with opinions, but ultimately. there there was enough fact checking or, you know, afterwards there'd be a very clear delineation where someone, you know, from management would point out, you know, John, you're probably old enough to remember when, you know, somebody from the local news would, you know, state their opinion. And, you know, as part of that, they'd say, you know, this is, you know, the opinion of this reporter. This is not the opinion of, you know, this it's independent from the owners of the station, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. You know, kind of letting, you know, like, well, this is the line like this. This is not really part of the news. This is just opinion. And now that line has has been, I'd say, obliterated. I was going to say blurred. It, that almost feels like it is the sports talk model from like way back when, which is it doesn't matter if I'm right or wrong. I, I have the most passion behind my opinion and therefore you should listen to me and therefore that makes it, you know, worthy of you know consuming. And you know, kind of go to go all the way back to you know what started this, Samuel, with Joe Rogan, like that that's that's kind of what I feel is happening. It doesn't it doesn't matter if well, it matters to me, but it doesn't matter if like getting vaccinated is right or wrong if the people who are talking against it are the most passionate and the most strong, feel the most strongly about it, or they come across as feeling the most strongly about it, they win, or at least that's the perception.
1: Yeah. And and it's, it's a catch 22 because I think the same thing, you know, is that same dynamic is replicated in the, in the political realm where the right recognizes that, you know, we, we just have to win. We don't, we don't, all we need to do is, is win. We don't, we're not uh, beholden to any sense of fairness or uh, rules and, and the democratic, well, the Democrats, especially, I wouldn't, you know, I would say not everyone on the left, but the democratic party is like, no, we play by rules. We're not going to be those, those people. We're not going to be that um, political block that just abandons Morality in the name of be pure power. Yeah. Well, for in anything, and and that that's how they keep losing is because they hold t- hold fast to this this principle. I mean, I'm not gonna. The underside of that is that you know they're far more cowardly, and you know um, um objectionable reasons for why they they don't push for true yeah. progressive policies. But I think like as far as the way it plays out in public, it's like. You know, the riot is fully at home with saying, look, we'll be the loudest, we'll be the strongest, we'll we'll scream, we don't care if it's based in truth. Um, we will just do what it takes to win.
2: There there was a during the run-up to the Iraq war, and I, I in my head I want to attribute this to Karl Rove, but it might have been someone else in the Bush administration who said it. But but the important thing is that someone said to a, I, I believe a reporter like someone in the bush administration you know while you're arguing about this you know while you're like arguing about meeting the run-up to the war whether it's right or wrong we're writing history like we're, we're the mm-hmm. ones writing the history you know we're we're the ones you know moving forward with this you know you're 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 standing on this platform of facts and you know what's right and what's wrong and, and that and we're, we're telling you it doesn't matter and that, that really set the template like and I remember at the time like you know when I, I read that you know and this was revealed like shortly after that was like really disturbing but that's been the way things have operated now for the last two decades and you, you could argue longer but that at the very least that's when the quiet part was said loud right like that, that's when somebody was like yeah like well while you sit here and dither about all this ethical stuff we, we don't give a shit we're, we're, mm-hmm. we're doing it. Hey, can I make a really um, bizarre segue from that?
1: Uh Um, so did I ever tell you, this is going to lead somewhere, um, kind of, but did I, did I ever tell you, um, both that my, my dad went to high school with Dick Cheney?
2: I, you might have, you, I don't, I feel like you might've mentioned this.
1: Yeah. And Cheney was, I think a year older, um, than my dad, but yeah. Um, but that leads me to the, the, uh, the, the other thing that I had dropped, which is that, that thread going around on Twitter about your strangest encounter with celebrities.
0: Yes. So yes. You,
1: you both have seen, I'm sure, plenty of people responding to this, this prompt, right? Of course. Um, but I want to pivot to a feel-good celebrity story, the, the tweet that I, that I dropped in, in the DMs yes yes um so so this is from and and this is leading up to me wanting to hear about uh you you all's um encounters with with celebrity because i'm sure yours are more interesting than mine Mine
2: are no mine are really i only have a well, couple they're really boring all so. right well Sam, samuel's gonna carry the
1: carry the pack for all of us then but anyway so so this, this is just this is just pure good vibes i don't want to this is you know before we get in, into the uh before we go to the dark place again so uh this is a tweet from jason roth uh goes uh, his twitter handle is at lucid j uh and he says in response to the the prompt about your strangest encounter with a celebrity or your most interesting or whatever it was um once uh, andre 3000 was on my ferry ride to alcatraz and i said hi uh, my six-year-old Autistic son came over and started talking his ear off about German shepherds, his obsession at the time. Andre talked to him about dogs for like 20 minutes. We exchanged numbers. And four years later, I got this text. And then we have a screenshot of a text. There's no reason not to think it's, it's from anyone but Andre 3000. And the text says, hi, Jason. I was searching for a name and yours popped up. I remember our cool encounter on the boat. Ha, how's the kid? I'm living in New York city now. So if you're ever here, please reach out. So, so I want to unpack a few things about that. Um, first of all, it's obviously very cool that Andre 3000 of, of outcast fame, um, engage, you know, not, not, you know, he said, hi, didn't big time. This family said, hi, said to the, to the father and the son, not only did he do this, but he engaged the son and, um, recognized that he was not neurotypical and and you know engaged his um his talk on german shepherds for 20 minutes he gave this this dude his number they exchanged numbers okay that's incredible 4 years later it's not that the dude reaches out to andre 3000 andre reaches out to jason and says oh hey i just this name came up and he remembered who this, you know, Jason was. Uh, And he replied, he sent him a text out of the blue asking after the kid and, and said, hey, if you're ever in New York City, reach out, let's hang. And best of all, he got the apostrophe right in your, he didn't do the Y-O-U-R, he did Y-O-U apostrophe R-E, which, you know is the, the icing the cherry on top of that kindness sunday. Um, so I don't know just wanted to wanted to point that out.
0: So before we get to like our own encounters I should say that Andre 3000 first off is one of the premier musicians of our time that simultaneously gets so much but not enough credit because mm-hmm. his work is phenomenal. Like uh, if you're if you're listening to this and you don't listen to Outkast I can't help you except to tell you to go start because um, and really start anywhere you want. Like there's really not a bad place to start. Just go on Spotify, pull up the this is outcast list and just go for a while. You'll be happy. You did. Um, And if you know outcast, just go do that. You're going to feel better about yourself in about 30 minutes. It's just really good music. Um, But I just love the fact that Andre 3000 has recently as like 2020 People just reported seeing him playing various instruments in the wild. Like, there's reports of him playing like some sort of woodwind in in like Central Park or something like that. Not trying to draw attention, just like just hanging out, playing a playing an instrument, having fun. Like, there's there's no like rhyme or reason to it. And apparently, this is just kind of who he is. He's just kind of a really chill guy. Um, and this also reminds me of my one of what might be my favorite appearance of his and I want to make sure that I've got this correct, he appeared in one of the worst movies I've ever seen but that I really, really, truly love. Um, Be Cool in 2005 with John Travolta and Harvey uh, Keitel. Oh, my God. It's a terrible movie. I that I wouldn't memory.
2: put it in like the all-time worst, but I, I did not like it.
0: It's not all-time worst, but it's pretty bad. Um, it was subpar for sure. I I really truly do love it that's also a very young Dwayne Johnson appearing in that movie as well before he figured out that he could make more money uh doing Fast and Furious movies. But like I just really like the vibes for Andre 2000 are immaculate and this confirms it very much so and it makes me really happy that like he just is. Like he is who he is and that's incredibly special I think for just everyone. It's it's a great victory for the world in general.
1: All right. So so uh, Samuel, you you have you, I know you have a story up your sleeve. Oh, I, I mean, you you've certainly had plenty of of encounters with celebrity in in your line
0: of work. Uh, yes. Uh, I'll, I'll try. Let me see what I can think of here. Uh, I've got a couple small ones. I'll start. I think I'll. Uh, I do have one that I'm thinking of that I think will is. It's probably the one that I I tell the most, um, but so obviously working at this at, at a radio station you you see some folks, uh you know just by and by the by, so one day I was in on a, a fill-in shift in the mornings and I'm just sitting there like I for context at that time I was working in our studio we have three rooms we have a tiny little newsroom which you do like our news updates in there's the main studio right in front of you like the the front half of it where you can see like half the, the, the broadcast desk, and there's a room next to you that's like where the, where like the board operator and the producer work. That's where all like the actual technology is. So like I'm sitting there writing my news update for the first of the show because like there's one right before the show starts. And so I'm writing it, and I'm kind of late that day, so I'm kind of hurried, and I'm checking it over. But I finally finish it, and then I'm just like, okay, I have a couple minutes before my update hits. And I look up, and I haven't looked in the main studio at all, I just – because I've just – you know you know how you, like, you get to your desk at work and you just – you take like 10 minutes and you're just freaking hurried and then you kind of come up for air. So I look up and I see through the big window that's right in front of me and I go, oh, hey, there's the commissioner of the NHL sitting five feet from me in the Bain studio because he was there for an interview about the NHL draft, which was coming to Dallas that year. And he was just like – but they had snuck him in just like completely – like unencumbered, he was just there with like some big giant bodyguard guy, and he was just sitting there waiting for an interview. Was but this Gary? Gotta, it is Gary Bettman, who is okay. all of like five five. He is incredibly tiny, um, a legitimately tiny human being. But he was just sitting there, just like waiting. Um, I had a very similar experience uh, uh, after that, where I was sitting doing almost the exact same scenario. I looked up and oh, there's Ice Cube just sitting in the studio, just hanging out because he was here doing an How interview. Did, for the, I-
1: how did you not lead with Ice Cube?
0: Um, it, I think this is chronological. I'm pretty sure Batman came first, and that's how my brain organizes it. But he was there because he runs the 3v3 basketball league, the big three. And he was there, it, it runs the AAC a couple times a year, so they brought him in. And uh, so he was there. That was pretty cool. Um, recently, so WrestleMania is coming through to Dallas this year, or Arlington, I guess. AT&T in Arlington. Uh, so during the holidays, I was, I worked quite a bit and, uh, one of the big stars of wrestling drew McIntyre was in the studio and I tell that was not unexpected, but, uh, I was there, I, I was working, I was producing the show after he appeared on, but I went, and I, I ran into him in the hallway and I got to shake his hand and introduce myself. And I was wearing a t-shirt that had the show name that I was working on. And for context here, it's, it's a parody. Let me see. Uh, if I can find, but it's, it's, I, I want I'm doing this live, live as we record here. So it's a parody of the world's most dangerous group NWA photo shoot. So if you, if you mm-hmm. haven't seen that, type in world's most dangerous NWA to your Google machine. And it was a parody of that for the, uh, for the show that I was working on. But it's got like all the hosts on it, that all the people that work on that show. It's got the name on there. And so I'm standing there with this giant three, six foot four scottish dude and i shake his hand he's real nice he's he, but he's staring at my t-shirt as we're like just kind of and it's clear you, you know how someone just trying to read like it's clear he's trying to read the t-shirt and uh I, I i kind of noticed after a minute but he's just like looking down like staring at it and my direct report's actually right next to me and he says oh yeah that's that's one of the shows that we have here and i'm like yeah it's uh the guy and, and the host come by and combined so it's his show right there and he, and he goes, Oh, that's, that's cool. And I'm like, He doesn't get it. And he just kind of chuckles in Scottish. He's like, No, I really don't. <laughs> and he just let, but like this giant like worldwide superstar is trying to read my t shirt like I'm a co ed at a bar somewhere. It's, it's a very amusing image. Um, but probably the big one that I've saved for last is uh, I have many stories from when I was invited to the White House in 2016, um, a thing that I will never get over saying as a, as a flex, just cause it makes me feel good inside. Um, so at the very end of our journey there, we got to go to the white house press room and like, see it and take pictures there. I've got a bunch of them, uh, I post them before, but there's windows. So like on the, on the right side where the door is, there's windows. So as we're congregating in the room, we can see outside. It's kind of a overcast October day in Washington, DC. And. I'm talking to a couple of the people I was with because it was like five different colleges were there and I'm talking to them like we're just kind of just shooting the shit and we look out the window and I look at I, uh, and I say something to the effect of hey is that the official White House dog? And I'm, I'm talking to a couple of, of women and we, we both we all go outside and yes out there being walked was at the time the senior White House dog Bo, the water dog that was, uh, that was yeah, living the, in the white the Portuguese
1: house Portuguese
0: water dog. Yes. The Portuguese water dog who was born, who was born at a, uh, breeder in Boyd, Texas, not far from where I live. And he had a dog walker with him, whoever the official white house dog walker was. And we're like, Oh my God, do you mind if we take pictures of him? He's like, yeah, he's out for a walk. Just make, if you don't mind be quick. We're like, yeah, of course. So the probably, so I got to meet and take pictures with and pet the official white house dog, uh, i didn't get to meet the president i didn't get to meet the vice president Um, but the white house dog uh is probably the one that i uh think about the most uh he passed away recently as a matter of fact i think in 2020 i want to say or maybe even last year and i posted my picture with him like hey you were a cool dog you know hope you hope you're you know enjoy the rainbow bridge but people kept thinking it was my dog that had died and which also made it really awkward when my dog actually died last year it kind of made it super awkward but like i had to clarify like no no this is not my dog this is actually the white house dog that just died that i met like this is not my dog not mine uh but yeah that's 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 those are probably the three high on my list that i can think of at the moment of of just like hey chancing or four they're like hey chance encounters of just interesting moments
1: that's pretty good. Um, yeah, I I, I uh, brushed up against uh, Zsa Zsa Gabor in a diner in Santa Monica once. That's that's my my closest yeah, those, encounter those are, with fame.
2: Yeah, those are mine too. <laughs> like a, a handful of of people that I've I've brushed up against and never, didn't really say anything or have anything interesting happen as as part of that. Like. Uh, I think the closest I've been to a celebrity I've mentioned this before on on flags, like outside of, you know, covering sports or whatever. Um, I was at an anti-war protest for the Iraq war and like Tim Robbins was there and like he was like a foot for me. And that's cool. It was just noticeable because I'm tall, like I'm six foot three and he's taller and it's always that thing, like when you know, I see somebody taller than me in person, I react. So my first reaction is wow, that's a tall dude. And then my next reaction was like, "Oh, that's that's, that's Tim Robbins. It's not just a tall dude. It's it's Tim Robbins." So yeah, I, I don't I don't have very many many stories. So oh, it's funny. Like there's it's more like people I know have the stories. Uh, there, there's someone I used to date. I just thought of this. Like her. Uh, Um, her aunt lived in, in New Canaan, Connecticut, and a lot of Mm -hmm. her family lived there. And so one day she's visiting and like David Letterman, this is like in the nineties, you know, he he zooms by and like whatever his sports car was. And my my girlfriend was like, Oh my God, that's Dave Letterman. And you know, my aunt was, her aunt was like, yeah, we see him all the time. Like just kind of bored with the whole, you know, idea of, of seeing Letterman.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there've been times in Santa Barbara that I would I would see celebrities uh, just kind of on the street because, you know, half of L.A. would come up to Santa Barbara on the weekends. But um, that was yeah, I I never had any any. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I,
2: I I worked in like I worked in Philadelphia like downtown for like a couple years, and it was like a similar. It was a similar. Well, if you're from Philadelphia and you're listening, it was you know old city. They're really they don't call it downtown, so it, yeah, it was an old city, and I, I was close enough to where a lot of the athletes would stay like at hotels. So like sometimes I'd see athletes from a visiting team, like usually baseball, and again, you 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 see them at a distance. It's not really an encounter, which is why I would just loathe to even mention it. Good stuff.
1: Good stuff for the podcast. The (laughs) incredibly pedestrian and um, you know uninteresting encounters with celebrity. That's that's niche.
2: Yeah. Speaking of that, like speaking of Letterman, Letterman actually had a bit on Late Night, John. I don't know if you remember, which was the brush with greatness, where someone would tell a very boring story about like meeting a celebrity, and, and then like there'd be a writer's embellishment and one of the writers would make up something ridiculous like for the second half of the story that the the person in the audience would be given to read that they were clearly reading and was, yeah. was clearly fake
0: if we want to bring this back to baseball um I, I don't know why this story came to mind all of a sudden the rangers manager once told me i had rockstar here, if that's a fun that was a fun day it's a very like it strange depends day. on which manager <laughs> it's the current manager actually uh, Chris Woodward okay uh I i had left the station early I'd worked an afternoon shift and I was covering the game that night and I left like around one o'clock and I had to be the, the game was like like five or six and going home didn't make much sense because of my commutes but I just went to the ballpark and I went to the off the record writers meeting uh on or media meeting and for those who don't know um just about every manager before a game like four or five hours before will meet with writers the the radio team the tv like it'll just be a media scrum but it's entirely off record you're just there to get like certain information like it helps fill in some of the gaps Um, pretty much every sport does something like this but baseball because of its frequency does it every day almost and so I'd never, I never, I just got there early. I never went to these when I would cover games. I would get there too late. So me and and friend of the podcast Levi Weaver were just kind of hanging out. I just I would just enjoy talking to him. So we go to this meeting, and I had done this is right after I cut my hair too, like from like being really long, and i like, I was dicking around with it, looking very much like a stupid white punk, like I very much looked like that at that time, and I I was just still trying to figure out exactly what to do with it. Uh, I still am. Almost three years later. And, but like, I came in there and I guess he'd never seen me before, which just makes sense. And he kind of looked at me. He's like, Hey, all right, rock star. It looks good. I like it. And he's just very casual, like, just not a, like, he just, and he was smiling the whole time. He wasn't trying to, to bust my balls or anything. He was just like, he. I think he legitimately liked it. And I'm like, Hey, thanks. You know, he, and, and, and it was just, that was, that was the entirety of the exchange. And then he went in and talked to like all the reporters and stuff. Like, it was a very, casual moment but i just it's just a little strange interaction that and it's it's really fun he's a nice he's a really nice guy i don't know if he's gonna get fired or not but he's a real nice guy
1: um well they got to give him a chance with all these this this rebuilt team right i mean yeah you know
0: it's the best thing that could the, ever happen the way again.
1: the way they've been performing is certainly
0: not his fault no definitely not i mean you could put you know whoever you want Prime Joe Torre, Prime Larusa, Prime whoever—I uh, guess Larusa actually would be plausible in this current environment, but not Prime Larusa, at least. I, I, you know,
2: it, it's funny. Bring back Boach. I think people forget like that Joe Torre before the Yankees, like outside of one season with Atlanta, just wasn't a winning manager, and oh. you know it, it had to do with the personnel. Like, well, his first gig was with like the awful like late seventies Mets when. I think he was very briefly a player manager too, but like so much of managing comes down to the team. And yes, you know, you, you, you have to, you know, be able to like, you know, fit your personalities together and keep people happy. And I think that's the thing Tori was like really good at, but if you don't have the players, you don't have the players. I I, I know I'm not saying anything revolutionary here, but like, it's just one of those things. Like, I think people get all like worked up about like the manager and it's like, you know, dude, like it, if if the team sucks, the team sucks.
1: So are we gonna um, get are, are we gonna get April baseball?
0: Yes, because the minor leagues are gonna play starting like April fourth. So oh, I'm getting oh, April baseball. Well, that's
2: a well, that's a good point. I, I guess I think what John is asking though is, will it yeah, if the season yes. doesn't start on time? Like you oh, know, he wants I'll the good leave. stuff. Let's start no. Out.
1: I I point well taken, Samuel. I just actually got saw a tweet from the uh, Spokane minor league team that they are, they're playing in April for the first time ever or in, you know, however many decades, because now they're, they're full season and their mm-hmm. season's going to start in April. And um, yeah, it's exciting. I mean, April and Spokane, Hey, it's a roll of the dice. You don't know what you're going to get, but uh, yes, but I did mean, I did mean the major leagues. I don't so, think so.
2: I don't know. I, I I guess to me, the question is how long of a delay is there going to be? Like, is it going to be a couple of weeks? You know, is it going to be a month? Is it going to be something more? I, 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 it almost feels to me like I, I can't see how MLB would shoot themselves in the foot, but then I don't see how they can do a lot of the things they do. And, you know, yet they do them.
0: And yet, We're, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's I don't know, man. Like you know, twenty twenty really is such a, and and I hate to you know to bring that year up to such an anomaly, really and truly. But it just feels like that showed us like who the I mean not like we didn't know, Uh, anyone that's paying attention knows the sides here, and if you're pro owner at this point, I I I hope you found a a a uh, style of shoe polish that you enjoy tasting. Well, that's just what you're doing, but. (laughs) If you're pro owner, you're only listening
1: to this. You, this is clearly a hate listen for you. So, yeah, how did you get? I don't here? know why did, you would be this deep into. How did you arrive here? But, three very anti owner people
0: talking, yes, but whatever. The, the literal like anti owner anarchists that this show exists on. But I, I think it's just really it was really instructional to what we're going to see this year because it's pretty clear they were willing to do the things that we thought they weren't willing to do. Like they were willing to say, "Yeah, we'll sacrifice games." And and they you know, they'll tell you in the name of safety that's bullshit. We know it. Like it's it's all about those economic factors. And if they and I don't I don't think they can well, crush the union this year. I don't think that's a thing they can do. But I mean the headlines I, that are out early aren't great. So I, I don't I, think they're defeatist.
2: Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I think if you know, if they cared about safety, there might not have been in twenty twenty one, or at the very least, there wouldn't have been fans at those games. So, you know, the I whole, agree. the whole safety thing is like, come on, like give, give me a break. Like that that wasn't really bullshit. the issue in in twenty twenty. Um. So yeah, I, what a lot of this comes down to is they, uh, to your point, Samuel, I think they know they can't break the union, but they they want to bend it as far as possible. Yep. And, you know to your point they are willing to sacrifice some of the 2022 season if they can achieve that goal
0: mm-hmm. i think we can get to june without mlb baseball i, I don't think yeah. that's out of the ordinary at all like because wow. you figure the ramp up period is going to be necessary if we if we overshoot spring training like well that's we'll probably, a certainty
1: at
2: this point
0: pretty right pretty yeah, well well, well that's what it
2: is i uh, what, what what was it in 2020 was it like a three-week
0: ramp up yeah, like I think yeah. we called it summer camp. So that's what probably what it. that's
2: probably what they're looking at. So, you know, if if you get an agreement where, you know, let us say it's May fifteenth, and they come to an agreement, you're you're looking at baseball in June, and that wouldn't that seems realistic. And I, I don't know if it's optimistic or pessimistic, but like that's the timetable that wouldn't surprise me. Like a May fifteenth agreement, and you've got baseball like in early June.
0: And I
2: think, I think if I've, that
1: happens, uh, the, the unions won. Well, right can can we say that not knowing what the deal is? I mean, we you know, what well, what will they have won? I mean they,
2: well let's let's back up for a second. Like what what does like to, to, to go back to your point, Samuel, it's a back up to that. Like what what does MLB want? You know, don't don't say to you know, destroy the union or you know, make sure everybody makes the minimum. I mean in terms of what they can get. Like what do they want? I mean, probably the simple answer expanded is, playoffs for one. Well, well I, that. I right. I, I think the thing to go back to that what they want is they want to expand revenue as much as they possibly can, without you know setting up a system where the you know the players say, okay, we want fifty percent of the revenue, and no matter how it's done we want it done. So, like, if, if, if the players said, if MLB said tomorrow, sure, we'll give you 50% of the revenue and we'll open our books and we'll prove it, this would be over, right? Because yeah. at that point, the players would be like, all right, well, we know that you're making a buttload of cash and I, I, it doesn't matter to us how that happens. Like, we we win. Because if you look at, like, absolute revenues versus, you know, salaries, I think the owners right now, depending on what numbers you're looking at, are, like, I'll say conservatively, the owners right now are probably about sixty-three percent of of the revenues, and I think that's conservative. But but that that's about where they are, and this this is what it comes down to to me. The owners want more. Like the owners want to get up to like sixty-five, seventy mm-hmm.
0: percent. Yeah, I think I, I think the goals here of ownership are to increase their size of the pie, and however they can do that, they're willing to do it. I also think they're. They're trying to put the kibosh on any sort of... And we've seen already that the PA has withdrawn their service time like, proposal, that that's just not going to happen. But even then, I think that was a pipe dream anyway. I don't think they were going to move on that. Like, It's hard to imagine owners giving up that pipeline, at least right now. But I think if the players come in with even a little bit of expanded revenue sharing, and if they can get... Like the arbitration plan that they went through, or at least a modified version of it, where arbitration becomes more player favorable, um, whatever that looks like, and I don't think they totally know at the moment. Maybe they do. We just we just don't know yet. But I think the longer this goes, like, like I think about the the previous work stoppages, it was so on the player. Like the media coverage and and the general fan opinion was that the players were the bad guy. And I think as we sit here in 2022, I'm sure there are people that say the players are the bad guys because they want more money. Like, I'm confident there's a group of people out there, an insignificant group that believes I
2: think I think there's probably a lot of fans that think
0: that. I'm sure. And I think, you know, a lot of
1: the major writers, you know, um, Olney and and Heyman and and those types are falling into the... um, well, these are just two sides that need to come together. like both yeah. of them have to get well, something like they're meeting. They're in vacuum, both sides you know. Well, I, I think, sure, what yeah.
2: I think what they're doing is they're, they're being very careful not to blame the players. Uh, but what they're doing is they're sort of saying, yes, why, why can't we all get along? Like, right. why, why, why won't the players, you know, make some concessions? And it's like, well, this is a lockout. This isn't a strike. Um, You know, Mark Normandon at baseball prospectus has, you know, pointed this out a few times. It's like, well, like, if there were no lockout, contracts would still be getting signed, you know, and and there's a chance, you know, just like, um, you know, happened in 1995 after, you know, Judge Sotomayor, you know, put the injunction through that we'd have a season or, or you know, we'd start on time while they were still hammering this out unless the players went on strike, which I, I you know, if, if it's like any other labor situation, I'm guessing – their maximum leverage would be to strike in the middle of the season, not at the beginning of it. So, mm-hmm. you know, I can't predict all this, but had there been no lockout, they would have probably played half a season, maybe a little more, and then went on
0: strike. Mm-hmm. Yeah, probably. But, but I think the but, longer but, this goes, go ahead. No, go ahead, Mike. Go ahead, I was
2: going to say, to your point, though, like uh, that earlier point, I, I think, yes, I, I think that. A lot of people probably do side with the owners or at least don't like the players. And, you know, some of that is just I I think the three of us and, you know, we're we're kind of in our own bubble where we're in a very liberal, like pro labor area of social media. But there are a lot of fans like that just don't feel that way. They don't see the owners as the enemy. They, they think the owners are entitled to make the money they make. And, you know, they see Max Scherzer making, you know, what's his AV? Like whatever it is. And they go, that's ridiculous. He doesn't deserve that. Like he's every you know player, which he isn't. And th- that's, that's how they see it.
1: Well, and it's course, funny yeah. because the way you see that framed frequently is, you know, people dismissing it. They're like, oh, it's millionaires versus billionaires. And you know that's I mean that's not entirely accurate because we know that there are plenty of pro baseball players that are not millionaires or are not um, you know there's a wide range between Max Scherzer and you know a, a reliever um, making the minimum, but um, the other the other point I would say point I would make about that is you know yeah millionaires versus billionaires do you know how much more a billion is than a million like yeah you're, you're you're playing this off like it's some like there's some symmetry there. But even in phrasing it that way, you're conceding that one side is, you know, has vastly more
2: resources and power than the other, yeah. and I, I think I pointed this out in the last show. like it would you know, I, I don't know if I did or not. I might have just thought this. but um i, I heard I heard Timothy, our own, well, I say our own, our baseball perspective his own, you know, <laughs> Timothy Jackson talking um. You know, he, he also hosts a picture list podcast. And you know, he, he was talking a lot about this and he made some really great points. You know, I, I, I was just thinking about the idea that in other industries, like owners or management. Bring something to the table. Like they, they bring something to the table in terms like of the capital they have to generate more capital, or they bring some innovation to the table. And yes, labor is very important and matters. And you know, in, in every industry, labor should be getting more than they get. But you can look at ownership and go, okay, well, I see the value of ownership. And like even if I'm like a complete, like rabid left winger, I I I see what value ownership brings even though even if it's overcompensated with baseball this is some of the problem as i look at ownership i'm like honestly you don't really need ownership to make baseball valuable like people will watch baseball you know if it's marketed and and produced properly no matter what there's nothing that ownership is doing to enhance the value of the sport like they're they're sitting on a cash cow and in reality they offer no value like that that's that's well, some yeah, of the I mean, pro- that's the problem. It, it's like, well, like, right. It, it's sort of a false negotiation. Like, like Jeff Bezos and Amazon, for example, it's like, well, you, you, you can and should argue that, you know, Jeff Bezos makes way too much money and it's ridiculous and the system is absurd. But, you know, the ideas that Jeff Bezos came up with to generate this revenue were, were super clever and he deserves, even though he deserves a, a fraction of the money and success that he has, he deserves some of it. it. It could be argued. You just can't make that argument with MLB ownership. At least, I mean, they're they're,
1: they're all basically like hedge funds, and you know, the game is their their market, right? They're not. They're just. They're just there to treat it as you know, as as an investment, and and to to grow their own, you know, to grow their own. Right capital. And yeah, I mean, yeah, I, so, I think, so I, I, think
2: I, I just bring this up though. Cause when people like make that pro owner argument and they say, Oh, the owners deserve it. It's like, well, right.
1: really? Well, yeah. Like, you just fall I, into I, that logic of that lazy idea of, you know, that, that is just so steeped in American culture, right. That, Oh, the owner, the owner is the one who's, who's created that wealth, who's created that value. And then people don't question, you know, when that's
2: not even remotely the case. Yeah. And then, and then there's the other problem with baseball, too, which is, you know, we, we know this the, the value of the franchise, like the financial value, as a fan, like, why should you care? Like, it, and that, that's how so many fans have been trained. Like, there's so many fans mm-hmm. and, you know, I I won't bring up the team, John. You know, you told me like like not to bring up on our on the last flags we did together. But you know that that Voldemort of a team in particular. So many fans argue about how successful they are because their payroll is at the bottom and you know they're so profitable. But like as a fan, why should I care about that? Like what mm-hmm. what like Steve Cohen signing Max Scherzer as a Mets fan? Like I'm happy about that, and I'm like, well. I don't really care if Steve Cohen spends 200 million or $500 million if, if the Mets won a world series. Cause that, that's my goal as a fan, like everything else is immaterial. So why should I care? Like if, if Steve Cohen is clever and is like, Oh, I only spent $170 million and we won 95 games and <laughs> you know, we, we lost in the first round. It's like, well, it's that last part that bothers me. And if you can afford to spend more, spend more. I I don't care what your you know PL or your EBITDA is. Like I, it it's irrelevant.
0: Nobody ever made a jersey for profits or financial and, and it, flexibility it, or capital.
2: But it's, but but I guess to get back, you were talking about I think Heyman and only and you mentioned some of those other names. Like that's kind of the problem, is they they've been beating this drum for so long. That there's fans who are you know 30 and under. This is like what they've heard for their whole lives, or at least their their whole lives as a fan. So that's what they they believe. They they believe that that's a marker of success. And some of them even believe that spending money is bad. And it's like, well, sure, spending money is bad if you if you you know spend money on a, a player that is is bad for your team. But but the piece of that that people miss is that. Well, if you're a billionaire owner and you spend all this money on Albert Pujols and three or four years into the deal, you're like, eh. you know, Albert Poolholes is not the player he was. You cut him and you get more players that that's, you know, instead of getting mad at Albert Poolholes for doing what he's supposed to do it, you know, in a free market, by the way, which is maximize the money he can make.
0: Can I make yeah. that an unpopular argument here? Oh, please. Sure. I think also um, – I was thinking about this as you were kind of discussing it, Mike, about the, the media sources. We – our industry, the the baseball writing, specifically the the prospect and fantasy industry, we probably either inadvertently or advertently have a little bit to do with this. Um, if only because – and I'm not saying you know, it's a big part of it, but like you, you look at like when we were doing flags together, we were talking about the concept of like – Finding value in certain places and like teaching people the concept of like, hey, you know, if you don't want to spend on, you know, Shohei Otani, here's whoever, like, or if you don't want to go, if you can't get the, or don't want to get the Garrett Cole, here's this guy. Like we we were finding value comps and even in, in the prospect world, you know, unfortunately we talk about players that are very unfor- unfairly treated salary wise that have to take over a half decade to get to free agency to where they can negotiate their true value. I mean, when you're talking about Pujols, he was in an open market to get that $500 million. Most players with the length of careers won't even get there. And yeah. when they do, who knows what it'll look like. But like, as prospect riders, we're always trying to find the next guy. We're always trying to find like the next big guy. But those guys are always going to be cost-controlled. And sometimes it's going to be at the expense of that player that that needs the big contract because they're they're hitting free agency like think about the players that have signed this year like the marcus simeons the Corey seekers you know these you know the you know, pick your big name the uh carlos correa who's yet to sign as we sit here today but like i'm sure in la i'm sure in toronto i'm sure in houston they're going well who's we can just replace him with a prospect he'll be just fine like who's the next big shortstop who's the next second baseman blah 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 and like this is the unfortunate side effect of like being good at our jobs like i'm not trying to necessarily pat ourselves on the back here but like we're helping identify this and we're kind of reinstilling the mindset of like well value hunting and like prospect leaning even if those prospects are really good can replace good players when in reality there is only one albert pujols there is only one Corey Seager. there's one carlos correa there's one max scherzer like it's it's kind of a weird thing to grapple with, It's something I've thought about even recently. Just as and I've had some more self-reflective moments about the things that we do, and it's yeah. it's obviously not intentional. None of us are trying to promote that intentionally, well, that, but it's a I side mean, it's, effect. Yeah,
1: I mean that actually got to be um, something I really disliked about about fantasy writing was how it was impossible to not um, talk in that language of you know, profit and value and Portally, assets. and Yeah. And, and because it's built into the structure, into the DNA of the game. And I think, you know, we talked, uh, I don't know if it was, la- I guess it was, was last time about, um, you know, fantasy leagues being more fun when you have a kind of personal relationship with the people in the league, right. Where it's not, where, where I think a lot of that, that talk about value, it's still there, but I think your predominant experience is one of interacting with, you know, with friends, peers, whatever, friends, enemies, frenemies. Um, but then you, when you strip it away and you do things like, you know, go into an NFBC league or play DFS, or um, even get into like a quote unquote industry league with people you might know, you know, through Twitter, but don't know in real life, it's, I think it it really does kind of the, those, those elements of the game stand out more starkly and it feels kind of gross to be honest. I mean, I love, I still love playing and I, I don't think I'm going to quit, but you know, as far as being in the, the analysis game like that, you know, that was, that was, that got to be kind of a bummer for
2: me. Yeah. And, you know, people have pointed this out, like with prospect writing, people have pointed it out with like sabermetric writing in particular, like a lot of people point out that like one challenge with sabermetric writing is, you know, it's driven to that. It's driven to that idea that you know Albert Pujols is bad because he makes too much money, and I, I know I'm oversimplifying. Mm-hmm. You know, and you know this player's you know great because yeah, the sort of fan graphs, dollar per. He's cost controlled. Well, in baseball yeah. perspectives, even before FanGraphs, you know, were the ones that kind of started, you know, kicking the tires on that and like you know coming up with that that parlance or, or revolutionizing that that whole idea. And so it, baseball has just kind of all sort of like move toward this. So you like on the one hand you have, what we were talking about earlier, which is like the sports talk radio and the fan that doesn't think these things through who's condition, you know, to think, well, you know, I believe ownership and, you know, I, I, the player better be loyal to me, the fan and loyal to the team, et cetera, et cetera. And on the other side, you, you have people coming out from a different direction whether it's Prospect, whether it's Fantasy, whether it's Sabermetric, but even though they they might see things in a more nuanced way, they're still coming at at this way of like, I want value, you know, I, I I want my my team to get value, whether it's my fantasy team, whether it's the the real team I root for, you know, whether it's it's the minor league system, yeah, and all of this, you're right, all of this like dehumanizes like the players to some degree. I know we're not breaking any new ground here, but. It, it It is kind of interesting. And you're right, John. It's something that has taken away from me. Like, if I go all the way back to, like, my fantasy roots, like, I remember, like, just kind of selecting players. You know, it's something Howard Magdal does that I, I kind of almost envy, like, when I look at his pieces at BP. Like, Howard really, a lot of his picks is because he likes the player or because his daughters like the players. And mm-hmm. the analyst in me, like, kind of, box at that but like the human in me like I, I read his stuff and i'm like oh this is like so human howard like mm. this is really this is really why i started playing and yeah like, I, I don't know how to get back to it the tough thing about getting back to it is like well i don't give bad advice but i i also like i want people to have fun and you know it, it's sort of that point is like hey if you know taking wander franco in the third round of your draft is a bad pick but you have Wander Franco all year and, you know, he's still a good player and he, maybe you took him around or too early, but you enjoy the hell out of that. In a weird way, it's like, well, good for you. And, yeah. and some of this comes to the idea, too, that so much of this is random, right? Like, I, I can say that Wander Franco in the third round is a bad pick, but if he produces, you know, I'm making air quotes here, like, you know, fifth or sixth round value there's so much variance at the back end of the draft that it almost doesn't matter. And, and in some ways you're almost better off getting those fun players that you, you want to root for and kind of just filling out later and be like, well, you know, it's all going to even out. If I'm smart and savvy enough, I'll, I'll do fine.
1: Maybe I'll, I'll, I'll do that this year. Just not, not prep for any of my leagues and just go and, and draft fun players. We have, there's a guy in my home league and he, um, couple years ago we had set the date for the uh it was a few years ago it was pre pre pandemic and we'd set the date for the draft and he's like ah i don't know if i can make it you know i made plans with my he's a single dad with a teenage daughter who's also a pretty big baseball fan and and he's like i don't know if i can make it you know it's my daughter's birthday weekend and so he hemmed and hawed and we we're like yeah dude it's it's fine we get it and then he at the last minute he's like yeah i'll be there and so we start we start the uh, the draft, or it's a salary cap draft. Um, And he throws out, I think he threw out Jose Altuve. And so this was not, this was kind of post-MVP Altuve. So it's when Altuve was, you know, very clearly not a, like a, you know, first or second round pick. I think he was probably going around the fourth round. I can't remember. Um, But anyway, so bidding starts, It gets really high. I think we're getting like in the 40s and, um, you know, there's bidding up until like the, the low 40s. And finally he just shuts down the room and he's like, you know, 48, which had, had jumped like $5 and we're like, whoa, dude, Frank really wants Jose Altuve. So, you you know, he's yours, man. And. And after, you know, he, we all sort of wrote down the, the, that you know, Altuve went to, to Frank's team and he's like, yeah, um, you know, I, that was, that was the one promise i made my daughter. She's like, get Jose Altuve. I don't care how much, you know, you have to pay, but I love Altuve and he has to be on your team. And if you do that, I don't mind you going to this stupid baseball draft. There, there There's a great.
2: Yeah, there, there's a great story like that from one of the uh, it, it's the Alex Patton, um, Peter Kreutzer League, the American Dreams League. Like, so this is like one of the old school leagues that started in the 80s or early 80s. And the, the original rules you, you when you picked a player, it was like suicide, meaning you couldn't drop the player unless like he was sent to the minors or, or put on the IL. Which, which with pitchers, meaning if you took a pitcher and he sucked, you you were married to that pitcher. So th- this guy in one of those early leagues, like this was like the 1982 Blue Jays, he took Mark Bombach, who pitched for the Mets briefly, pitched for the Brewers, who's the Blue Jays, and he was awful. And like someone asked him, they said, what, why would you take Mark Bomback? And this guy is like, hey, like this, this is the only mark in Major League Baseball or the only mark in the American League, and my son is named Mark. And my son said to me before I left for the draft, you have to get a mark. <laughs> and this guy was like, "Well, Mark Bombac is the only Mark, and I am getting someone who has the same name as my son." And yes, it, it's it's stupid, it's ridiculous. I'm sure this guy finished near the bottom of the standings, but again, like th- th- this is a human game. Like it, I, I think it's the the piece of, of fantasy again, or it's, and it's the thing about baseball, which is if. Look, we, we all and I, I do it like, and I do it a lot. You know, we, that the whole value thing is important. The whole, you know, maximizing, you know, winning is important. But if you can't see it all, like if you can't see the the fun in it, then you, to me, like it, it wouldn't be worth playing. And I know it's not true for everybody. We talked about this last week with NFBC and people who gamble. But I I, I probably will never. Reach that gambling point. Do you do you remember that that piece, John? Like that Jeff Zimmerman wrote a couple years ago. That whole skin in the game piece, and you know how the mm-hmm. NFBC players are. You know, better. Well, he didn't say better, but you know, are like more skilled or you know better players than. I guess he did say better, better players than like the people in the analyst leagues. Yeah, I think Jeff might very well be right, but but the problem again kind of lies in the idea of. I, I'm not here to just give advice to those players or, or play in NFBC leagues or I'm not here to win or try to win like tens of thousands of dollars. Like that, well, then That's that's not why I started playing fantasy baseball and it still isn't why I play fantasy baseball. Well, well, then it's just another kind of
1: trading market, right? I mean, it's just another kind of stock market. It's, yeah. it's just then the, the actual... You know, maybe those players do enjoy the game and have their favorite players, yada yada. But they are the value. the 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 goal is, you know, winning money above all. And then, you know, the the whole the money. Hey, you know, this is why, yeah, the sure. Fun, I guess. It just I mean, isn't
2: why. Like, I I play in money leagues, but it, it, I don't play. Like, I like winning the money, but that's not sure. why I play. And I think sure. I said this last week too. Like, the most so the most fun years of the years I finished like you know, fifth or sixth and didn't win money, but like started out with this like super crappy team and managed to finish middle in the pack and like made a bunch of trades and like, just really had a lot of fun with it. You know,
1: I was a couple of years ago, I think maybe this was, was just after the pandemic started, but I, I, I didn't, I, I was messing around in my mind with versions of fantasy that you could play that would be like pro player that that would you know that would um incentivize um doing things that would benefit player that would basically reject this kind of language of value and um you know investment and gain and profit etc and i you know i had a couple of ideas that were pretty crazy and and unwieldy But that just goes to show you like how it was so hard to even envision something that wasn't based in this whole model of, you know, of value and profit and loss. And I don't know, maybe maybe one day I'll I'll write write some of those things up just to kind of prove the point. But um, but it's like I said, it's really baked into the to the DNA of the the game. Well, I,
2: I think the challenge in fantasy is that it's a statistical game and the Mm -hmm. statistics like even if you go all the way back to the simple you know four by four which is an imperfect game there's still value in those statistics and and that that's kind of the problem right like the the problem is like well to to do what you're suggesting you would need to find something that isn't wedded to statistics you would need to find something intangible yeah yeah so, so to do that like you know i i don't know how you you do that like i i don't know how you translate for example the fact that tim anderson you know is or seems like a great guy by all accounts i don't know how you build, build that into his value you know some mm-hmm. some kind of some kind of q rating so years ago do do you remember spy magazine Sean? mhm yeah in the late 80s early 90s they they came up with a, it was a parody of, of fantasy baseball And they called it "Rotisserie Life." So, what what their the the concept of their game was you you drafted movie stars and you know television and like real life celebrities, and you got points when they were just mentioned. I think it was in USA Today that was you know part of the joke. So you could try to come up with a baseball game where you know someone is mentioned positively in the media, you get points. And you could, I guess, try to add that to the statistical element. You know, if you take that away completely, if you just use that intangibles, I think you're playing a different game entirely.
1: Yeah, no, but it, I, I was thinking of versions that basically put you in the position of, it still puts you in the position of a quote unquote owner. But see, this, is, this was during the winter. I, I can't remember if it was 2018 or 2019, but it was where all the talk was about how the owners weren't. Weren't spending, and how free agent it was the the winter of the really slow free agent market. And you know, I was thinking about games where you're basically incentivized to spend a lot of money, and and thinking about models that you could do that with. So you would still try to um, have players that were doing well, but it wouldn't be on this model where you had a two hundred sixty dollar you know cap, and everyone had this this uh, this cap. I mean, it it was going it was going to it was it had all of these like preconditions and it wasn't even like, you know, a true um, game that you could play kind of throughout the season. But I was just these were just thought experiments. But um, I'll try to maybe I'll try to dig some of that up. And I don't know. It was fun.
2: Yeah, well, it's a thing I like about, you know, as you know, I I started playing and I I still haven't finished it. Like I I started playing the 06 season in Stratomatic and I keep playing it very slowly and going back to it. And I'll be honest, I'm nursing it. That's why it's taking forever because I'm really enjoying it. But it's a thing I enjoy. I enjoy like playing these individual games, Mm -hmm. compiling the statistics like I'm keeping track of the statistics, but Seeing how in an individual game there's just this variance, right, and it's the variance I enjoy. Like it, it's the randomness of, of statistics and and games, you know, and and the fact that you know Philip Humber can throw a perfect game, right? Like like that that concept that in theory, you know, a player that we know isn't very good, you know, even though to make the majors you are very good. But isn't very good in the you know context of all the other major leaguers can throw a perfect game can have that one day or one night with that they're just amazing, like like that that's that's the I think that's the other piece about fantasy baseball. Fantasy baseball tends to you know even things out. It's a full season, so eventually you know the the, the players you get and and the team that wins is is the best team. But that is the thing I love about baseball. Like I I don't necessarily love that seasonal grind. Like I I love the randomness of of the one day or the one week where you know as much as I I decry like people taking their victory laps in April, I get it because I do enjoy that that variance.
1: Yeah, no, totally. I'm just brainst I'm just starting to think of games where you know you you have end of the bench players you know for like a week at a time and then you you get points when they actually you know do something um when they when they when they produce when they have that that three homer game or that that no hitter i don't know um but you know i'm all for um thinking about ways that you know you can kind of get out of that that value trap in in fantasy
2: yeah, it, it, it's tough though because, like I said, it, it's such a statistical game. Yeah. You'd almost need to find a way to minimize the statistics. I don't think you could eliminate them because then, you know, you're you're just doing something else at that point. You're you're playing <laughs> the old Spy Magazine Recessory Life <laughs> game, which, which seemed like it would be fun in its own right, but at, at that point, it's just something, something else, something else. And you might as well just you know add celebrities to the mix as well and you know, kind of grade them positively or negatively. And then, you know, unfortunately you're, you're once you get into the negatives, that's when you get into the unfun stuff of, you know, all the, the bad stuff that athletes do where it's like, yeah, I, I really, that's, I, I don't want to be grading that either.
0: This is giving me an idea that we're going to have to talk about off the air. Cause I think I might have something to bridge this gap, but I don't want to go public with it yet because it also might involve some people that are going to listen to this podcast one, but two, I would like to bring the room up and end on something here that I think is very fun. I think it'll be very fun for one specific member of the program because it involves someone that I think he holds in high regard. Um, so I sent this to you all last night when it happened. Um, if you're listening, I'd like to direct everyone to the Twitter feed of uh, Justice De Los Santos, who's a reporter, uh, apparently who also needs a job. So first off, hire this young man because he seems to be understand what we need to be doing here. But uh, he sent out, let me get the exact time on this tweet, uh, early Wednesday morning at 1.33. Uh, I, I'm predisposed to believe that he lives on the West Coast. He sent out, uh, in honor of Tim Lincecum's lone appearance on the ballot, I don't know what ballot he's talking about since something happened this week of, of note in baseball, but whatever he's talking about there, I will attempt to eat his infamous in and out meal t- tomorrow night. Three double-doubles two orders of fries and a tr- chocolate strawberry shake now i am happy to report that as we sit here tonight we have the results of this event he did it live on twitter but apparently he did not make it um apparently the fries are what ended up taking him down which is very ironic considering that in and Out's fries are largely garbage but regardless he has he he tried he set about his goal he put it out from the public that's more than enough for me uh credit to him for this but i, I want to ask two questions here one could you do this gentlemen is this something you could accomplish I, i'm going to say now because i think we all had a time where our metabolism burned bright our stomachs were much larger and we could do this sort of thing probably pretty easily but i'm talking about in the present time and two hmm if we were doing your signature fast food order, like if if you were on a ballot of unknown origin and Mm. someone wanted to replicate this, what are they having to buy?
1: All right. I'll I'll go first. No, I could not. I could not. I, I, you know, I know my limits. I think maybe if I were, um, drunk or under the influence of, of other, um, other substances, I might have a better chance, but, but in my, at my age, like. I know this. I, I would, I would puke, I think halfway through. Um, and it wouldn't feel good. I mean, puking seldom does, but I think getting there would not feel good. So I'm just gonna, I'm gonna tap out and say no. Um, I don't know that I, you know, I, I don't, I don't really eat a ton of fast food anymore. Although when I was younger, Um, I did have a, a for, I guess this would have been like senior year of college, there's a bar we like to frequent and across the street from the bar was a Taco Bell. And when I was young and my metabolism was just, you know, in overdrive, um, my friend and I would have a few beers and go across the street to Taco Bell and each get a 10 pack of tacos. And, you know, Taco Bell tacos are not, they're not you know, there's a lot of lettuce. There's, there's, they go down pretty quickly. They're not huge, They're not huge but 10, 10 is 10. It's a lot. And, and we would, we would, uh, and my friend who's even, you know, he, I'm, I'm pretty average size and he is a, a smaller, uh, smaller dude than I am. Shout out Ross. Um, but we would, we would get through collectively 20 tacos in, I don't know, in far too, Far too quickly for, for our own good. So that's what I got to say on about that.
2: Mike. Right. Well, I mean, I, I would say now, no, you know, it, it, if you're talking about, I, I, I could probably do the non-burgers part of it. Like if I had to do the fries and the shake, I I think I could pull that off. But if you, if you're adding that element to it, hell no, I, I I'd be the same as John. I'd be, well, goofy. I am. So, because that's the, that's the goal. Yeah. So I'd say no. Uh, yeah, I mean, same thing for me in my prime. I could certainly like, you know, eat a whole pizza or, you know, really pound back the food, but those days are, are gone. Uh, and then the second part of your question, Samuel, it was like, what would your, I guess, ideal meal for somebody else be to, or
0: like a signature for like, if somebody was like, I need to go get the Mike Gianella meal. Oh, what are hmm. they going to go get?
2: That's well. I mean it's probably just local to here like we we've got this uh we've got this like korean place and they have like sort of a i don't want to call it call it korean tapas but that's really what it is that's an interesting idea they've got like a lot of small plates is what they have and like that that's probably the meal i'd be getting like I'd, i'd be like going there and and spending like lots of money on the small plates and just eating like probably 10 of those like appetizer type things until so i i couldn't eat anymore that that would be my that would be my signature meal
0: <laughs> i'm not laughing at that because that's awesome i'm laughing because there's an eliza slush bit about this exact thing and i'm not sure if that's what john's laughing about if it's not i'll send it i'll try to find it online and send it to y'all but there's a, she does a fantastic bit about tapas that is that's, that's what I'm thinking of now. So thank okay. you for reminding me of that. That makes me very happy. I want to come uh, to
1: your your hood and and have some Korean
0: food. Yeah, so, that actually sounds really dope. Yeah, you, you, you can you
2: can you can do that. You know, it, it's funny where I live. Like the suburb I live, so I'm yeah, I'm in a Philadelphia suburb, and obviously the you know I lived in Philadelphia for six years. Obviously, the restaurants in the suburbs are not nearly as good. But because of where we are, and because you know we're not in, say, the suburb of a lesser city or in the boonies, there are some good restaurants here. There are there are a few really good restaurants, and this one, which is called Co, is is one of them. It's it's a very very good place.
1: I don't know if this would be a band name, but I would certainly make it like. This is like a a good early two thousands kind of indie emo album name:
2: Suburbs of a Lesser City.
0: Oh, it's amazing. That would That's be like an O six band. That would, that band. Good? That would yeah, be good. for
2: sure. Yeah. That reminds me of Norm McDonald's so Better Than Ezra joke. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what, please,
0: was, that? what was
1: that? I remember
2: that, but now I don't remember it.
0: Yeah, write that down, John. I'm gonna need, need that for something for a future project. <laughs> write down that band name. We're gonna we're just gonna keep a oh, list of it. those. I'll, i got it. Uh, I'll need it. that later. Uh what, what's I guess the I'll,
1: better than Ezra joke, Mike?
2: The, I believe the Better Than Ezra joke is, you know, the number one like song on the charts this chart this week was Better Than Ezra. And you know, number two. I'm I'm actually gonna find it because I, I don't wanna do this uh I, I don't wanna do this uh joke. You can't dishonor justice. Norm's memory. Here it was. In music news, this is like from weekend update. In music news, number one on the college charts this summer was better than Ezra. And at number two, Ezra. <laughs> that's right <laughs> it's just it just, and it was just, it was that norm mcdonald delivery too like the way the way he just deadpan that where you're like oh my god it's like amazing you, it was those things you you, you kind of know the joke is coming but you you also Still. know you're gonna you know you're gonna laugh at it
1: yeah yeah suburbs of a lesser city
0: that's an amazing you could title name. you
2: could title the episode
1: that if you wanted to uh suburbs we'll, of we'll a lesser put on the for future
0: episode names we actually have a re- uh, I, I This is a good part before I answer the question to say that we are currently doing a uh, a gimmick with our episode names, um, so if you're listening, look at the one that we'll name this episode and from the episode one, and see if you can figure out what the nomenclature is, because there is something tying it together, but it's it's something very specific, so... Uh, but you it know, is a thing. So have fun with that.
2: You know, it, it it's late. I know we're wrapping up. Um we, we should maybe we should save the food thing for the next episode because I'd I'd love to hear, you know, not now because it it's you know, like I said, I've been going for a while. I'd love to hear all your food stuff and particularly like your your local go-to food places. Because because that's the thing. I imagine we all have those and um, you know, Sammy, I don't know if you've ever lived in a, a big metro, John, I think you have, um, mm-hmm. but like even where you are now, like, I have to think that you've got your go-tos, like oh, you've yeah, got your, you've got your places that are like, yeah, I know I don't live in like New York or, you know, San Francisco or, or some big city where there's just a, you know, so much amazing food and I can just find it no matter what. But I, I, I think next time I really want to hear about your, your go-tos like where, where you live.
0: So Mike has planned episode three, but let's finish episode two. Cause I'll answer the questions. I, I will answer my own questions here. Um, could I do this? Maybe. <laughs> I think if I did it, I might die. There's a very real chance that if I was able to complete it. I might just die. Um, I think I have probably the best chance just because of age. Like, but I, I've noticed my own metabolism is slowing down. Um, I think the thing that would actually guarantee I could succeed is if I could swap these for protein style, which is no bread and it's lettuce wrapping the. No, you, you you can't. You, no, no look, I, I Mike I is can. trying to like
1: give up the burgers, and you're trying to give up the buns. No, no, like, no. I'm saying I think this. I, I'm this saying under this
0: condition. I, like under his condition, I probably could. I probably could, but I would be dead.
1: There's I no would conditions. certainly be able
0: to... There only there is only. The well, then meal. You would be mourning my death on the podcast next week if I did this. I think though, so I oh. think the shake would be what showed slowed me down. Also mm. the prize, because I don't like the prize. Well, well, yeah. Um, I mean,
2: if you if you throw a low carb in, like so yeah, when I was in my twenties, I I was like doing a low carb diet and th- there was this place in New Brunswick, New Jersey, which had a like, I think it was like two 10 ounce burgers, like just saddled in between like, you know, two buns. And I I just ate it without the buns, and it's like, well, that's a lot of meat, but without the buns, you're not really doing the full, you know, stuff-your-face experience,
0: if that makes any sense. It does. It does. And if you're trying to replicate my fast-food meal, I have many because I eat a lot more because I'm on the road a lot more than y'all these days, Um, but I think if – what's the one – I would probably say my current one is is a Popeyes meal because that's the one that I enjoy the most. Um, if you're trying to do my my uh, un, unnamed ballot meal, um, you're going to a Popeyes. You're getting two spicy chicken sandwiches, you're getting two biscuits, and an order of uh, a regular order of fries, uh, and a, probably any large any soft drink you want. Pretty much like I alternate between two or three, but a large soft drink. That's probably what you're getting. Um, if you're yeah, trying I, to replicate my meal,
2: I, I don't do much fast food anymore. Like pro- probably the, the, the one like guilty pleasure I have, and that this is reduced since I don't go to the office and this was something, it, it was just way too close to my office. So I did it more than I, I should have. Um, it was like the five guys fries that, that, that was my, yeah. that was yeah, my buddy. guilty pleasure. And you know, it, it, it's, it's funny cause cause some people will, talk about how five guys is overrated and you know maybe, maybe some of their stuff is but their fries are are just excellent like I, I i that i will fight you about like if you're like ah they're not so good the in-and-out fries i i get that like they they can be soggy and they it's more about the toppings i think than the actual fries and and the style you can get them in but but the five guys fries like you know heated up in the peanut oil they're they're good if you don't like them it's probably because you let them sit too long or you got you know you got them to go and you brought them back to your office and you weren't eating them in the car on the way back to your office like i do like every you know good person should and at that point they were just too cold
0: Well, that's a wrap on episode two of It's a Baseball Podcast. Again, a real long one, but we thought it was a lot of fun, and we hope that you enjoyed it. Uh, if you're curious to follow the host on Twitter, you certainly can. Mike Gianella is at Mike Gianella. John Heglin is at John Heglin. You can find me at the Samuel Hale. If you need more information about the show, it's a baseballpodcast.com. We'll take you to our website. If you're trying to find the podcast, we're on Spotify. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're pretty much anywhere you can find podcasts. If you have a business inquiry, if you have an idea for the show, if you just have a message you want to give us nice or otherwise it's a baseball podcast at gmail.com hit us up and let us know what that is and until next week we will be in your ears real soon